This morning, um, I want to share with you guys a topic that's, that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, it's, it's one of those topics that is as vast as the ocean. We could explore its depth and its length and its width for years and never really discover all that it has to offer. But we only have a few minutes here today. So what I want to attempt to do is to lead us up to the shore of this topic, just to where our toes meet the water. And I'm going to attempt to bend down with a teaspoon and just, just pull up a teaspoon and give you a taste. And my hope and my prayer is that you would feel its warmth and that you would taste its sweetness and that you would desire more of it. And then when you leave from here today to go to lunch or to run errands, that you would talk about it with your spouse and with your children. When you meet in your home groups this week, that the discussions would run long and that you guys would look at the thousands of verses that talk about this topic. Because it's a topic that's found all throughout Scripture, from the beginning pages of Genesis to the end pages of Revelation. And when we read about people who have much of it, we really admire them. And then when we read about people or when we see people who seem to have none of it, we kind of wonder at them. And the topic that we're going to be talking about today is faith. It's a simple five-letter word that for so many is this elusive concept and this hard word to really grasp. But it affects every area of our life. It affects the way that we pray. It affects the way that we give. It affects the way that we talk with people around us. It affects the way that we love people around us. It literally affects every area of our life. So what I want to do right now is just spend a moment defining this word, because it's one of those words that some people attribute to weak individuals who lack intellect. Some people attribute this word to, um, I don't know, people who kind of live with their head in the sand, live in a state of denial, ignorant people. Other people attribute this word to just a, a feeling or an emotion but we're going to see in Scripture that, that faith is actually none of those things. Faith is actually something that makes Jesus marvel. Faith is something that amazes Jesus. So let's spend a moment defining this word, because it's a word that we use a lot in church, faith. But again, it's one of those things that maybe you don't quite understand what it means. So we'll go to the passage in Scripture that almost every Christian will go to if you ask them, what does faith mean? And that's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you're a ch churchgoer, you're like, amen, I love that verse. But if you don't really attend church all that much, you look at that and you're like, what in the world does that mean? And I'm a simple person. I'm not dumb, but I'm simple, and I don't like big words. And any word that has more than like eight letters is a big word to me. So we're going to break this down a little bit, okay? Because this word assurance, I mean, we kind of have an understanding of what it is. But when you're assured of something, you have confidence. You have this level of certainty, okay? And then when you hope for something, you expect or you desire something to happen. And then this word conviction, that's a firmly held Belief, Even though you can't see it, it's a firmly held belief. So with all things considered, we're going to define faith as this today. Faith is the confident belief that God will do what he promised. So just as simply as I could define it, 
Faith is the confident belief that God will do what he promised. And I'll give you an illustration to maybe uh, you know, help this bring it home a little bit. Let's pretend that you're looking for a job. Okay, you're unemployed and you need a job. So you go out searching for a job and you get interviewed and your boss or the man really likes you and he hires you and he says, you're going to start on Monday and you're going to work for two weeks and then we pay our employees every two weeks. So you wake up and you go to work on Monday morning confidently believing that in two weeks you're going to get that paycheck. You're, you're living by a, a level of faith. So at the end of the two weeks, you go to your boss and he says, well done, here's your paycheck. And he proves himself faithful by giving you what he promised. And then that continues. You go to work for two weeks and he gives that paycheck to you. And time again, time and time again, he proves himself faithful. Now I find it interesting that nobody would say to the person who says, yeah, I just got a new job, but I have to wait two weeks to, to get my paycheck, to get my promise. Nobody would say to that person, and you're weak, or you're living in a state of denial, or you're ignorant. You need to get your head out of the sand. Nobody would say that to the person. Yet when the Christian says, I confidently believe that God will fulfill his promise, people get all up in arms and they say things like, well, you know, faith is for the weak people who need a crutch. Or faith is for those people who just live in a state of denial and who who just overlook the facts. But really, faith isn't this blind trust that so many people think that it is. Faith can actually look back at the track record of God and say, wow, God, you've proven yourself faithful time and time again. When we read about the life of Abraham and Isaac, when we read about Peter and John and Paul, when we think about the people in our life we can look back on the track record and say, wow, God, you really have been faithful. You really are trustworthy. So with that in mind, with this idea that faith is this confident belief that God will do what he promised, let's dive into our text today. And we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at just 10 verses. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And, and we're going to meet this Roman officer who all things considered, really isn't normal. He's not the, the normal, stereotypical Roman soldier that you might think of. And in these 10 verses, this Roman centurion is going to paint a picture for us of what faith looks like. And each verse is going to be to us like the stroke of a paintbrush. And at the end, we're going to just see this beautiful portrait of faith. And we're going to take a step back and kind of say, how does that faith Compare to my faith. All right, so starting in verse 1, Luke says this. And after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. So after Jesus gets done preaching to his disciples and to the crowds, the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, after he gets done doing that, he goes to this town called Capernaum. And we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. And then when he starts his ministry career, he kind of adopts the city of Capernaum as his home base, his hometown. So that's where he's at. Verse 2, now a centurion, this is, this is our main character. This is that Roman officer who's in charge of a hundred uh, Roman soldiers, okay? This, this is the centurion. The main character is going to be painting this picture of faith for us. Centurion had a servant 
who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. So here in these two verses, what we're going to see are three strokes of the paintbrush that's painting this picture of what faith looks like for us. And the first one that we see is this. Faith genuinely cares for others. Because remember, this Roman centurion was in a position of power and authority. And people in his position typically had multiple slaves, multiple servants. And it would not have been a big deal for him to acquire a new slave if one died. So he could have very easily said, you know what, that servant, he's sick, he's going to die anyways, let's get rid of him and find a new one. He could have said that. But what we see is that this Roman centurion highly valued this servant, regardless of his rank. So we see that faith genuinely cares for others. So in your own life, do you genuinely care for those around you? regardless of their rank. Do you, as Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say, count others as more significant than yourself? We see that this centurion man did. Faith genuinely cares for others. There's the first stroke of the paintbrush that's painting this picture of what faith looks like. And then the next thing that we see is that faith seeks Jesus. Because again, this man was in a position of power. He had money. He had resources. He could have sent for a doctor. He could have sent for a magician. He could have sent for a healer. But this Roman centurion heard these stories of Jesus. He heard that he healed a man with a withered hand. He heard that he cleansed a man from leprosy. And he says, you know what? I need to seek out this Jesus because no doctor will do, no healer will do, no magician will do. I need to seek out this Jesus on behalf of my servant. So here we see that faith seeks out Jesus. So in your life, when those difficulties arise, what is it that you seek first? What is it that you reach out to? Is it a spouse? Is it a friend? Is it your bank account? Is it an addiction? What is it that you reach out to? Is it the the new dietary fad or supplement? Or is it Jesus? Here we see that faith seeks out Jesus. And then the third thing that we see is that faith breaks through barriers. Because this Roman centurion sent on his behalf Jewish elders. And I don't have time to get into the specifics here, but it's no secret that the Jews and the Romans did not have the best of relationships, okay? So it's surprising to see that despite the social and cultural barriers of their day, this Roman centurion had a strong enough relationship with these Jewish elders that they would go on his behalf, and that we'll see in the next verse, that they actually plead on his behalf. So we see this strong connection here, and we see that faith breaks through barriers, So in your life, is there a person or is there a group of people that you tend to avoid or that you're reluctant to be around simply because they're different? I mean, can you talk with a homeless person the same way that you talk to a middle class or a wealthy person? And can you be around and hang out with with the stinky person that's not really well-groomed as easily as you can hang out with the well-groomed person who smells delicious? I mean, we see here that faith breaks through these barriers. 
And we're going to pick up in verse 4 here, 4 and 5. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Here's another stroke of the paintbrush that we see. It's that faith gives generously. Because again, we see this strong connection between these Jewish elders and this Roman centurion. This connection is so strong that the the Jews go to Jesus and they plead on his behalf. And they say, Jesus, this man is so worthy for you to go and heal his servant. I mean, you have no idea. He loves the Jewish nation so much that he built us our synagogue. It's not cheap to build a building. It's not cheap today and it wasn't cheap back then. And we see that this, this faith of the centurion gives generously. So I was thinking about that and I started wondering, you know, what, what, is, what does giving look like in the church today? What does people who, who, who claim to have faith in Jesus, what, what does their giving look like? And what I found was really disappointing and kind of discouraging. And my point is not to guilt anybody or to make this like a, a really you know, sad message or to make you feel bad. So I thought rather than looking at the lack of giving, let's be optimistic and let's just kind of daydream. So I thought, what if, what if the church actually tithed? What if the church actually had faith in the promises that God made regarding giving? Because remember, he's not after our money. He's after our hearts. So what if we really believe that God could use the resources that we give to advance his kingdom. So I did some Google research and I found uh, this research group that asked this question. What if Christians tithed? And they looked at a specific group of Christians. And this group claimed that they had, that their faith was important or very important in Jesus and that this group attended church at least twice a month. So this was the committed group of Christians that this uh, research group looked at. And they asked that question, what would it look like if this group in America alone tithed? And what they discovered, that if they actually tithed, if they gave 10% of of their income, they would add an additional $46 billion to the church to be used in worldwide ministry. And then I started thinking, what could be done with $46 billion? And here's just a few things. We could sponsor 150,000 new indigenous missionaries and pastors. We could quadruple the total resources being spent on missions to reach the unreached. We could fund 1 million new clean water well drinking projects around the world. So we could fund 1 million new wells that would provide clean drinking water for people around the world, a million of them. We could sponsor 20 million needy children worldwide through things like compassion and global fingerprints. We could hire 11, this one's my favorite, we could hire 11,000 new Christian youth ministers to reach and disciple the youth in America. We could fully fund 500 new Christian prison ministry organizations and we could provide scholarships for thousands or even tens of thousands of children, teens, and adults to attend Christian schools colleges and seminaries. And after doing all of that, there would still be over $30 billion in the bank to be used in global missions. 
If only we had the faith to give generously. And we see that in, this, in, in the life of this centurion, he had great faith and he gave generously. So we'll pick back up in verse 6. And when Jesus went with them, that is when Jesus went with the, the Jewish elders, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here is Jesus making his way to the centurion's house to heal this servant. And on his way, he gets intercepted with a message from the centurion. And the centurion says to Jesus, don't take another step. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. And it's interesting because just a few minutes earlier, the Jews were saying how worthy this Roman centurion really was. And he recognizes his unworthiness. And he says, Jesus, don't take another step. I'm not worthy to have you in my presence. And here is another stroke of the paintbrush. And we see that faith is humble. Faith is humble. Now, I'm sure that this Roman centurion understood that if a Jewish person were to enter the house of a non-Jewish person, they would become ceremonially unclean and have to go through this big, long process. But I don't think that's the only reason why this man said, Jesus, I'm not worthy to be in your house, because of his response in verse 7 and 8. This Roman centurion, he reveals that he understands how authority works. And he says, Jesus, look, I am in a, pers- I'm in a place of authority. Okay, I, I have servants under me, and I'm going to say to one, go, and, and he'll go. And I say to another one, come here, and he comes. And to another, I say, do this, and he does it. In other words, what, what this centurion is saying is, Jesus, I understand how authority works, and I understand that you are in ultimate authority. You don't have to take another step. You don't have to burn another calorie making your way to me. Right where you are at, you can just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And here's another stroke of the paintbrush for us. And it reveals that faith understands Jesus' authority and his word. Faith understands Jesus' authority and his word. And this is the most important part of the whole entire morning. This question that I'm about to ask you. Do you understand who Jesus is? Not do you understand the facts about Jesus, but do you really understand who Jesus is? Do you understand his authority? Do you understand the promise God made to you in regards to Jesus? Do you understand that that God offers a free gift in Jesus, a free gift of salvation? In case you're here today and you don't understand that, I want to go back just just a little bit and explain this so so that you do understand. Because in the very beginning, when God created man and woman, he created them in a right relationship with himself. But when given the choice, Adam and Eve, when given the choice to obey God or to disobey God, they chose to disobey God. They willingly and intentionally chose sin 
over God. They chose to disobey him. And in doing so, separated themselves from God. And now there's this problem, and this problem is called sin. It's not a popular word, but we have to call it what it is. It's sin. It's directly disobeying God. And since God is holy and since God is just, he can't just turn his back to that sin and pretend like it never happened. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. Then he'd be a liar. Then he'd be no God at all. So here's this problem. Humanity's over here. God's over here. And there's this sin that's blocking in between. And God understands that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to clean up the mess that we made. We can't be good enough. We can't give enough money. We can't pray enough. Can't attend church enough. There is nothing that we can do to clean up this sin mess. So Jesus, God, looking down at us with love and with compassion and with mercy and forgiveness says, you know what? I'm gonna rescue you. So Jesus willingly, lovingly steps out of heaven into earth. And he lives a perfect, obedient life that we could never live. He dies a death that we should have died and he pays the debt that we should have had to pay. He takes care of this sin problem for us because he understood that there was nothing that we can do to take care of it. So out of love and out of grace and out of mercy, he takes care of it for us. And his promise is this. If you really believe that I did that, if you, Jesus says, if you really believe that I took care of your sins, if you really believe that I am who I say I am and that I did what I went out and sought out to do, if you really believe in me, if you place your faith in me alone, you will be saved. If you really believe in me, you will be forgiven of that sin. You'll be forgiven of that sin and you'll be, you'll be given this, this new life, this eternal life, this life that lives with God forever. So as you sit here today, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Again, not do you believe certain facts about Jesus, but do you really believe who Jesus claimed to be? Do you believe that he is God? Do you believe that he really did live that perfect life? Do you believe that he really did take your punishment and pay your debt? Do you really believe that three days later, he rose from the grave, proving himself faithful, just like the boss who pays the paycheck at the end of the two weeks. Jesus' resurrection proved that he really was who he said he was. Do you really have faith in Jesus? Because when we do, when we place our faith in Jesus, when we confidently believe in God and his promises regarding Jesus, the scriptures say that we get adopted into his family. We become his sons and daughters. Our old life, that was so bent towards sin and towards selfishness, that has died and our new life has become. Our new life has started. And it's in this new life, his, his spirit dwells in us and he gives us the power to say no to those sins that used to ensnare us. He gives us the power to love like Jesus loved. He gives us the power to forgive like Jesus forgave. So as you sit here today, where are you in regards to God and his promise to you? Is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in your intellect? Is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in, in your good works? Are you just hoping that, that you're good enough to get to heaven? He makes it clear that, that he is the way, 
and the truth and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. We need to place our faith in Jesus alone, and this is the most important thing, the most important part of, of the sermon this morning. So I wish I could camp out here for the rest of the day, but we have to move on. But, but I want to challenge you, if you're sitting here today and you're, and you're kind of, you know, you, you feel something going on inside of you, that's God working in your heart. And if you realize the sin in your life, and if you realize your need for a Savior, just cry out to God right where you're sitting. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come forward. Just cry out to God with that humble heart, that heart that is seeking Jesus, and say, you know what, God, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that it's my sin that separates me from you, and I understand that you want to be in this right relationship with me, and Jesus, I trust that you took care of that problem for me. So would you help me to follow you? Thank you for paying my debt. And would you just help me to seek you first? And when you come to God with that humble heart, he adopts you into his family and this new life starts. And I, did, I made that choice like nine years ago. And I'm telling you, the past nine years have been the best nine years of my entire life. And I would not trade them for anything. So again, before you leave here today, don't, don't leave with any questions. There's gonna be prayer partners up here in the front. Pastor Dan will be up here too. And, and if, if you have any kind of questions regarding who Jesus is, just come talk to one of those people because that is the most important question that you can ask yourself. Who do I say that Jesus is? Okay, so again, I want love to just camp out on this, but, but we're gonna move on to verse nine and 10 as we finish up here. Verse 9 says this, When Jesus heard all these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Okay, this blows me away. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who walks on water, the one who breathed stars and galaxies into existence, the one who conquered sin and death, the one who raises dead people back to life, the one who cleanses leprosy, this Jesus marveled at something other than himself. This Jesus was amazed at this Roman centurion's faith. He says, not even in all of Israel have I found such faith. I mean, Jesus marveled at this man's faith. And when I read that in my devotions just a few weeks ago, I just had to stop and, and meditate on that because that is huge that Jesus marveled. And then it led me to do this word study, and I found out that there's another place in Scripture where Jesus marveled. And you're familiar with this story, I'm sure. It's when Jesus goes back to his hometown of, of Nazareth. It's in Mark chapter 6. He goes back and he's teaching uh, the people that he knows there. This is a place where his friends live, that he grew up with. This is a place where his brothers and sisters live. Jesus goes back and he starts teaching them. And the scriptures say that the people were offended at Jesus. He said, isn't this the carpenter? Aren't his sisters here with us? I mean, who does he think he is? Where does he get this authority? And they were offended at Jesus. And Mark chapter six, verse six says this. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. You know what makes a Savior marvel? It's not how many times we attend church. It's not how big of a check we can write. 
Jesus marvels at faith or lack thereof. And I find that absolutely amazing that Jesus, this star-breathing, sin-forgiving, death-raising God, would marvel at faith, this confident belief in him. That's absolutely amazing. But what I want to point out from, from verse 9 is this. another stroke of the paintbrush for us. And it's that our faith sets an example. Because there's a crowd following Jesus. And they're hearing everything that Jesus is hearing too. And after hearing the faith of this centurion man, Jesus makes it a point to turn around to the crowd and say, not even in Israel have I found such faith. In essence, what he's saying is, Do you guys hear this? Do you guys see this? This is the kind of faith that amazes me. This is the kind of faith that I love. This is the kind of faith that I want you to pursue. This is the kind of faith that I want you to follow. This is amazing faith. This is great faith. Our faith sets an example. I don't know if you realize this or not, but people are watching you. Sounds kind of creepy, I know, but people are watching you. Especially if you claim to be a Christian. They listen to the words that you say. They listen to how you react to certain circumstances. And they watch how you react to certain circumstances. They're looking at you. And they're seeing, is is he real or is he fake? Is he one of those people that just attends church on Sunday? Is he one of those kids that just attends youth group on Wednesday? Or are they real? How genuine is their faith? Our faith is revealed in actions. So what are your actions revealing about your faith in God? Are your actions revealing a God who's powerful? Are your actions revealing a God who can be trusted? Are your actions revealing a God who brings peace in troubled times? Ultimately, are your actions revealing a Jesus that's worth following? Because people are looking at us, and our faith is setting an example So what kind of an example is your faith setting? What kind of example is my faith setting? Here we see this Roman centurion set a great example of faith. And it's this picture that we're going to look at now. So after everything's said and done, he paints this beautiful picture of what faith looks like. And after looking at it, you know, I'm like, wow, he's got like Mona Lisa faith. Just this beautiful portrait of what faith looks like. And then I think about my own life. And it's like, you know what? I struggle with insecurities and I have fears and I have doubts. And sometimes I'm not very humble. And sometimes it's hard for me to give generously. And I struggle with all these different areas. And at best, I have like stick figure faith. Okay, I have stick figure faith. And and this Roman centurion, he is like Mona Lisa faith. And I don't know where you're at. Personally, maybe you're somewhere in between or maybe you're like the stick figure faith like me. And if you're like me, I have good news for you. We are in good company. Because even the disciples, the men who walked with Jesus during his years of ministry, who saw him raise dead people to life, who saw him heal the sick, even those men had weak faith at times. Maybe you remember the story in Matthew chapter 8 when the storm is kind of taken over the boat that the disciples are in with Jesus. 
Jesus is passed out because he's exhausted from ministering to the people. And the disciples are like hanging on for dear life. And Jesus, Jesus, we're perishing. Help me. And Jesus gets up and he, and he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. As if to say, don't you know who I am yet? Don't you know who's in the boat with you? Why are you so afraid? Or maybe you remember the story of, of Peter walking on the water towards Jesus. Here comes Jesus again, miraculously walking on the water. Peter cries out, Jesus, is that you? He's not sure if it's Jesus or a ghost. Jesus says, yes, it's me. Peter says, tell me to come to you and I'll come to you. So Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat and he starts walking. But sure enough, this wave comes and his doubt supersedes his faith. And he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out and what does he say to him? Why did you doubt, oh, you of little faith? As if to say, don't you know who I am? Haven't I proven myself enough to you? Why are you doubting? Don't you know who I am? See, even the disciples had weak faith at time, at times. And I have weak faith at times. So here's the application for today. And it's only eight words, and they're all under eight letters, and it kind of rhymes. So I think, I, I hope, I pray you guys can remember this with me. When our faith is weak, here's our application. When our faith is weak, ask for an increase. When our faith is weak, ask for an increase. And I know that sounds so simple, and some of you might be thinking, man, that's kind of like anticlimactic. I was, I was hoping for something more, okay? But I want to show you what I'm talking about with this. Because in Mark chapter 9, maybe you remember the story. There is a demon-possessed boy who is possessed by this unclean spirit, and this unclean spirit causes him to seize and to foam at the mouth and to fall into fires and bodies of water. And the father of this boy brings him to the disciples, yet the disciples can't heal him. So then they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus essentially asks the father, do you really believe that I can do this? And this is what the father says in, in response. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Essentially, what this man is saying is, Jesus, I believe, but I have doubts and I have fears and I have insecurities. So would you increase my faith? He's asking for an increase of faith. I believe, but help my unbelief. The next one is in Luke chapter 17, verse 5. The cross is not that far away, and Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he's giving them some pretty difficult teachings, and he's laying out some pretty difficult expectations. And he says, look, you guys, temptation is going to come, and it's going to come on strong, so you need to watch how you're living. And then he says, if a brother sins against you and comes to you with a repentant heart, regardless of how many times he does it, forgive that person. And he's giving them all of these difficult teachings. And what do the disciples say? This is their prayer. Increase our faith. Jesus, what you want us to do is difficult. What you're asking us to do is, is, is mind-blowing. So would you increase our faith? And then this last one I absolutely love because it's Jesus praying for the faith of Peter. You might know the story when Jesus and Peter are having a discussion and Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny, deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter says, no, I'll die with you, Jesus. This is what Jesus tells Peter. 
Satan demanded to have you, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed for the faith of Peter, that it wouldn't fail. Because you see, when we pray this prayer, increase our faith, God doesn't just fill our faith cup to full. What he does is he allows us to go through a circumstance or through a trial or through something that causes us to depend on him and him alone. Peter went through a trial. He denied Jesus. He had to rely on God and God alone. And God got him through that trial. And in the end, his faith was strengthened. And God does the same for us. When we pray, God, increase our faith, what we're really, uh, what we're really uh, should be expecting is some kind of situation, some kind of trial, something in our life that causes us to depend fully on God. And then when we depend fully on God and he proves himself faithful, and he will, just like the boss giving you the check after two weeks, after God proves himself faithful, you see, wow, God, you really were there. I think of Pastor John when, when you know, God laid on his heart this, this desire to write a book. I don't even know where you start with something like that, first off, but you know, he went to school for journalism and stuff, so he's better understanding. But God laid on his heart this desire to write a book that would be used on a national level. That's hard. That's difficult. But John took the step of faith. And after taking it, he realized, wow, God, you really were there. And in my life, God's prompted my wife Katie and I to adopt. And that's scary and that's difficult. But we're taking the step of faith. And so far, along the whole entire way, he's proven himself faithful. We land the foot and we're like, God, you're actually there. This is pretty cool. And pretty soon when you start doing that, you find yourself walking by faith and not by sight. And what I mean by that is that you start walking confidently believing in God and his promise rather than your intellect, rather than your feeling or emotion or anything else. You start walking confidently believing in God and his promise. And that's what God desires for us, to live a life that's fully dependent on him and that fully trusts him. God honors faith because faith honors God. And his desire is that we would be a people that depend on him because our faith is setting an example and people are looking at us. And when we show them that, that Jesus is actually worth following, man, that glorifies him. And that is our purpose on planet earth, to glorify the father, to point people back to the cross. So if you're still wondering, why is it so important that I ask for an increase of faith? It's because our faith affects the way that we represent Christ. And our mission here on planet earth is to represent him well. well sorry about that. To represent him well. As people who, who say, you know what, I've surrendered my life to him. I've placed my faith in him. We want to represent him well. And we pray this prayer, Lord, increase my faith because an abundant faith magnifies the name of Jesus. So I want to encourage you guys as you leave from here today, pray this prayer. God, increase my faith and then hold on tight because he's going to bring you to a place that requires you to trust in him. And I encourage you, trust in him and you're going to see that he is faithful. He will prove himself true. And then the next time he asks you to do something crazy, like write a book or adopt or whatever, you're going to be able to take that step a little bit easier and the next one a little bit easier. And then pretty soon you're going to be walking by faith and not by sight. And people are going to be saying, wow, they actually follow Jesus and I want to do the same.
because Jesus is worth following. So would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your love. We thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us at the cross. God, we're so thankful that despite our weak faith, uh, you still use us. And Lord, we're so grateful for this example of faith that this Roman centurion paints for us. But God, we know that in our lives, so often we just have that stick figure faith. So my prayer, Lord, is that every person leaving here today would pray this prayer. Lord, just increase my faith. Lord, that that we would walk out of here with, with a deep desire to represent you well and to point other people to you, our neighbors, our coworkers, our children, our parents, our siblings. Lord, we, we want to represent you well because Jesus, you are a God that's worth following. I've only been following you for, for the past nine years or so, but oh, it has been the sweetest nine years of my entire life and I'm just so grateful for them. So God, I pray that, that somebody here today, would, would, that it would just be the day of salvation for them or that you would work in such an awesome and powerful way that they would just humbly come before you and express their, their need and their dependence on you. God, I pray that, that, that you would just do incredible things. I can't even imagine what this community would look like if every person leaving church today would just ask for this increase of faith. And if we would just live our lives completely dependent on you, believing in you and in your promises, really trusting that you are faithful. So God, that's our prayer. Increase our faith. We trust in you and we look to you. Father, we just... We just give everything over to you because you are so worth following. So God, again, I pray that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters here today. I don't know what, what kind of situation they're, they're going through, but you do. And God, the same way that you strengthen Peter's faith, would you strengthen their faith? Would you strengthen my faith? We wanna live for you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.